Welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 150, Unholy Hollywood, interview with Chris Crutchfield. Now here are your hosts, Scott and John. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell. And I'm John Potts, and this is the show that talks about things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And yeah, John, today we've got a very special guest. We're going to dive into some things that are maybe a little bit touchy, but very interesting. We've got Chris Crutchfield here from Six Foot Seven Podcast. Chris, welcome to Bible Mysteries. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here discussing these most interesting topics with you. <laughs> you bet. And for our listeners, I'm going to give you a little rundown on Chris here in just a second. But before we do that, John, why don't you tell us who our seekers are that are sponsoring this episode today? Absolutely, Scott. So this episode is brought to us by our premium subscribers, or what we like to call our seekers. And uh, this week it is Maria M., Jessica H., William R., William M., and Ben L. and all of those fine folks joined us in March of this year. Thank you all very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for supporting this show and for helping us get the word out about Bible mysteries. So without further ado, Chris. Chris Crutchfield is a visual storyteller, a music expressionist. I love that. I love that phrase, the way you put that. And a life liver, as well as the host of Six Foot Seven, the podcast. Chris gives a taller perspective on things in the world, and he speaks truth to power about the illusion of representative government. Boy, is that the truth. And the deceptive media. Chris also had 10 years of experience working in the entertainment industry in Hollywood. So we are going to ask him about things related to the satanic connection in this industry and the agenda they have to pervert the world and the truth. So Chris, once again, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate the time and the talk. You bet. And I got to start with the first question that uh -huh. I know our listeners are going to want to know is, are you actually six foot seven? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am. Actually, I used to actually, when I was in college, have a hat that said, yes, I, comma, I'm six foot seven. And it was oh, like yeah. a trucker hat. <laughs> it was like back when Ashton Kutcher was wearing the trucker hats with, with the punk era. I, I had love a custom that. trucker hat that says, yes, I'm actually six foot seven. Well, so, that, yeah. that's that's so funny because I know you guys that are as tall as that face their own challenges, right? Doorways and bumping heads and whatnot. It, more than you think. <laughs> I, like, I keep my mouth shut because it's the one thing that's like, okay, I can't complain about being tall. It's like not fair to y'all. But airplanes, doorways, yep. stairwells, that's the thing. It's unregulated. Like stairs are unregulated, like, like yeah. the height from each stair to like a distance. The top of it is not. So I bump my head in all kinds of random hotels and buildings and houses and basements. Um, air, travel, uh, roller coasters. You have oh. the opposite problem. You're not too short. You're too tall. <laughs> you're too tall. Yeah, it's like life is hard. Flying's got to be the worst. I mean, yeah. I'm flying is the worst. One. I'm six foot one, and my knees are in the chair in front of me. 
I mean, and I see guys that are six four. I could imagine being six seven. Bro, and- <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. I just I've learned to just like dissociate and go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> just like crawl. <laughs> the, people would think that you like an aisle seat, and I'm like, no. Because then my knees get knocked by every cart and every person. Oh, I want yeah. a window seat. I just want to turn to the side and go to sleep and not wake up until we land. I understand that. In the fetal position over by the window. Right. Exactly. exactly. I don't think everybody realizes the, the challenges that you face when you're tall. I'm only six foot. And even though that's probably average height for a lot of guys, um, I got a younger brother who's like 6'2", six 6'3". Six and I always look up to him, you know, when we talk to each other. But what's funny is, uh, and you'll appreciate this, he's a drummer, mm-hmm. and he lives in Nashville. Once he went to see a friend do a showcase, and his friend was a drummer, too. It was one of those music industry hobnobs where, you know, all the all the industry people were around. And while this was years ago, when they finished the showcase, my brother was talking to his buddy that was tearing down his drums. Mm-hmm. One foot's on the stage riser and one foot's on the floor. And as the crowd was milling around, somebody stepped on my brother's foot that was on the floor and he turns to look up and he's 6'2 and he's looking up at this guy who said, pardon me, son. And it was Johnny Cash. Oh, wow. <laughs> who's yeah, just like awesome. a giant, too. He's like 6'5, I think, or oh, wow. was. You I know? didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. That's so, yeah, so there's there's always a bigger fish. You know? Always. <laughs> you know what? Talk about the segue of all segues and the dovetail of all dovetails. Because mm. that's the that is the underlying theme for the structure of Hollywood is the bigger fish that sits behind the curtain that the very Genesis Six conversation spearheads. Really. And the the illusion has merely been to withhold and then to market as a good thing and then the adoption of that thing ends up crumbling empires and then there's another period of withholding and then there's another period of marketing and then there's another period of epitome if you will and then there's a crash and it seems like it's been that way since Nimrod and them days. So, wow. So we're going to have to dive into that and explore that a little bit with you because you, yeah. uh, as we'll learn, have a very unique perspective about that. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up. And uh, I never thought I would be tying in the Nephilim and Nimrod to Right. Yeah. To this. It's all, well, it's because the reason it's the story is because it is the echo. So I work in, 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 uh, in music, in fact, this is, I didn't even plan to do this. I'm gonna try, I, this is kind of like a creative way. Here it is. Okay, so I'm just, I'm sitting my stuff right here on my piano, my drum says right over here. But anyway, in music, this is what's called a transient. I'm just gonna play a regular piano note, just a middle C, honestly. Okay. I'm gonna turn the reverb off. Can you hear that noise yeah. pretty? Okay. Here's good. So this is. Right, the transient. Yes. So the transient is the initial story. In this analogy, Nimrod is the transient. Okay. He's the initial individual that kicks off a particular pattern. Mm-hmm. As soon as I hit this button over here called reverb, we get some echo, some depth. Correct. Yeah. As soon as I turn that depth and that time way up, right. Right. As soon as I hit the delay, turn that up. Even if I turn the reverb off. Yeah, hear the difference. Yeah, all those dum dum, those delays are your ISIS story, your Merlin story, your um, Phoenician variant, your Greek variant, your Roman variant, 
And today, it's just an homage to all those very things, the Trident and Aquaman, Superman being Kal-El, having the same etymological background, like Superman's real name, right? as you know. Uriel, Micah. You know, it's kind of like the story is there. They're right. telling it to you. But they're selling it to our children and us when we were kids through comic books. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's something you want to be a part of, something you want to, like, hybridize yourself with. Yeah. And... None of this. Greek, Roman, Phoenician. Right, right. None of that would exist without the initial transient. Okay. So everything that manages that 19th repetition or 19 billionth, who knows, right, is all a testament to that transient. Now, there are other transients that Mm -hmm. make more beautiful, you know, like pictures all together in the case of the Motha, you know, so it's all the story, you know, it's all the, it's all the same process as the story goes, but it is the expression. I'm using this music analogy because I, what you guys talk about is hovering right over the whole Hollywood conversation. It's just that it's veiled at the surface and it's, and it's even veiled to most of the players involved. That's the thing. So most of the people are like not in on some giant conspiracy. Okay. Satanically. However, you best believe there is a giant satanic conspiracy. There is. They're the unwilling, unknowing accomplices. And I was myself for for my entire career. Well, not my, I can't say my entire career, but in an increasingly significant fashion with increasingly larger scopes and clients over the years, I became an unwitting accomplice until I learned, like, whoa, time out. This is what this represents? So even though I was Christian, believed in God, was totally had the most high working in my life because of some <laughs> things that I was spared from, yeah, contracts, relationships, and otherwise, mm-hmm. I still hadn't hit that threshold of awakening, if you will. I hate using some of these buzzwords, but, you know, just the yeah. chapter in my awakening story where I learned, <gasps> there's another, another thing going on. And when I did that, I took basically three years and just didn't work, research, just took the minimum amount of work, was pretty broke during the three years, <laughs> but didn't care, and was really more interested in learning what is this industry? My wife is a part of the same industry. She was a singer-songwriter. I was more on the video commercial television side. She was more on the music side. I dealt with the music industry a lot, but I wasn't yeah. technically contractually in it. She was in the music industry. So we just got to a place where we had to really evaluate what is this we want? Like, what? Wh- why are we here? Like, what is yeah. this career? Like, where where do we go from here? Everybody tries to get somewhere in their career. What does that look like in light of what I'm now finding out is the reality about this industry that can even describe, most of the people... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can you can you describe what you mean by... you? You found out. I mean, was this uh, all of a sudden was an awakening to what was going on behind the scenes? I mean, give us some background on that. Where where were you, and then how did this happen? Um, Okay, so I it was January of 2015. I had just begun dating who became my wife uh, three or four weeks prior. No, yeah, three or four weeks prior. My father sends me a documentary series called the Know Your Enemy series by The Fuel Project. And I'll make sure to get you that link because it's very key. And it, it, yeah, for me, please. 
the way I explain it is this particular 77-part documentary series is about 11 hours of content altogether. Mm. Uh, it was put out by a, a church ministry in Ireland. I got the guy's Irish who put it out. But he essentially is explaining, you guys, the enemy has been using the same trick this whole time in cycles. And he, the first third of the series is about biblical times. The mid, middle era, middle third is about um, medieval kind of middle ages or whatever times. And then the final third is about modern ecumenicalism and all these different things going on in the modern era. Hmm. And it was a couple things along the course of that documentary series. And the, the best way I explain it is that series gave me the border to the bigger picture. I, it, it wasn't like super in-depth with everything that I know now. It was just saying, hey, everybody, here's what's up. This is how the enemy seems to work in these cycles. He does this, then he does this, then he he like seduces you, then he intimidates you. and then he back. It's like free will. You have to give in. each one. Oh, here's a several examples of that. And there was a few things the documentary brought out that, that was like a gong for me. So prior to having met my bride... The, um, you know, my ex, she worked for a celebrity and they lived at the top of Mulholland Drive and I would often be at their place and I learned just about the proximity to that location with this famous Laurel Canyon compound that I later came to learn had such significance in the 60s and 70s with a lot of the reason things are like, (laughs) things are the way they are now at the Mm. time. But I drove past this place for like a year or more of my life, like right going to my girl's house. You see what I'm saying? It was one of these things that was like, whoa, this is so, this is a bit too close to home. There were people they did discuss that I had already worked with, like celebrity people. I'm like, whoa, you know, that was, you know, I knew something was weird at the time. I couldn't put my finger on it, but if that's what, what that was, like, whoa, like, could that have been like and maybe what that was? Just so for those that may not know, Mulholland Drive, and and that's obviously in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that has no um, connection to like the the Tate Manson murders and things. Or was that yeah. in that same area? It was. Yeah, it's because that Laurel Canyon compound has all that connection to the the Manson murders. Oh, that compound okay. is right on the corner of Laurel and Mulholland. Laurel Canyon is one of the three major ways you get from the Valley of L.A. down into Hollywood. Mm. The 101, the 405, Laurel Canyon, or the beach, or the other one through the other mountain. Anyway, the, it's a famous route because it's only one of three or four ways to get down into L.A. And what the movie that Mulholland Drive is about is this kind of playing into the folklore of that thing. It's a famous road at the very top of the biggest mountain in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. Tom Cruise's house is there. Justin Timberlake's house is there. All the celebrities, all the star tours go by. Mm-hmm. All these different people who everybody knows their name basically can... You don't even get the opportunity to bid on real estate up there unless you like... you know, It's like you're on a roster already. So... Mm-hmm. It's just a pretty covetous place. And I don't mean that like personally covetous. I'm just saying it's real estate. It's prime Los Angeles real estate. So prime. They made a whole movie about it. And this famous compound is right at the apex of that street and this other famous street that I lived on at the bottom in the valley side. But then I drove up that street, Laurel Canyon, and then on the Mulholland to go where I had to go. And it was one of those things that 
it was to, for me. It was one of those the father making it quite clear. You was driving through this this whole time, and you you dodged it. But now that you're clear of that, this is what was going on. <laughs> and from then in the 60s all the way to now. So it really kind of made me step back and be like, whoa, okay, what is this? And so it was this documentary that, to answer your question more poignantly, that that was the kickoff. It was this documentary first put the whoa, maybe this whole Illuminati thing is real. Like, I always heard people talk about it, and I couldn't, I didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. I would never tell you it wasn't real, but I would never tell you, oh, yeah, I see it all the time in Hollywood. I would say I saw several anomalous situations and several strangely unfortunate situations and heard several crazy stories that because I was close enough to the proximity of the name slash influence, it allowed me to be able to see just by my perspective, not because of my smarts, just because of my perspective. Oh, this is how the whole world can get deceived by this thing. Because nobody really sees what the editor and the director and the producers don't want them to see. And it's really, really easy as an editor, director, and producer to just be like, nope, we're not taking showing that. Okay, change that. Move this over here. Cover that up. Put this word over here. They didn't say, take this word from three days ago. Put that. You know, I can build whatever story I want to in the edit. Yeah. And they very much do that in terms of the lives of these people to the point where you really see the enslavement firsthand. Like, you, you really get the impression like, got it. They're not at all in control of their situation. You say enslavement. Are you talking about the people involved in the production, actors, crew, everyone? I'm saying the culture of the latter. So yes, but no. And when I say yes, but no, what I mean by that is not everyone, probably not even 95% of them, mm -hmm. but occasionally over the years in an increasing fashion, as you go from working little indie jobs to doing your first commercial for this big brand to doing the first commercial with a celebrity with a big brand, you start to see, oh, wow, things are really weird at this level of the game. And those people only work with the people that they always work with, and you basically can't even get in unless you, like, party and stuff with them. Because everybody wants to work with their friends. That's the culture of that particular industry, even me. I hire all my cinematographers, directors, producers, first AD, camera op, grip, and lighting, who are all the people I like. You're sure. my homie, plus you do good work, you're hired. So... You can imagine how the subculture of the behavior, almost like cliques in high school, to be honest, yeah. function as a practical tool of the industry. And so it's kind of like certain productions, you just know what goes on at that production company. <laughs> certain labels, you just know what happens at that label. Everybody talks about it, everybody knows. The public don't know, but everybody in the industry knows. And so they're kind of just like, it's kind of... Par for the course, I suppose. Are they protecting it? In other words, the ones that may not be involved in the things we're discussing here that are going mm -hmm. on behind the scenes, but they mm -hmm. know it's happening. Mm -hmm. Are they keeping their mouths shut because they don't want to rock the boat or they want to be able to get in themselves at that point? Or are there other reasons? I think we're dealing with a scale based on the individual. So yes, there are hand, uh, often other reasons. In some cases, yes, I think people are trying to protect what they really want because they're greedy and they're almost there at the top and they just mm -hmm. got to keep their mouth shut and just wild out and have fun and just, you know, take a this or a that and, you know, not think about it too hard to get what they've dreamed of their whole childhood moving to L.A. from wherever they're from. And 
that type of person is magnetically attracted to that type of subculture. Yeah. If they happen to also be talented, then it excels. That's the that is maybe a significant misconception I've seen just in general on the internet is that people can just sell out to Hollywood and then get famous. It doesn't work like that. You really have to be talented to even get anywhere in the options of the celebrities who would consider being sold out before you ever. You know, it's like there's stages of curation, and yeah. it's often based on who's broken. Who, like, who, who is talented but broken? That's the best. That's their fresh meat. Talented but broken individuals, that's what they prey on. And that's when I say prey, pray, I think about it from... As again, I keep using this word spectrum, but think about it from a benign to a malignant threshold. Meaning, some managers are out there like, listen, I'm looking for some talented people who can let a strong leader pour into them on how to actually get somewhere in their career. And they're not malicious at all, they mm-hmm. never harm anybody, but they are looking for a talented but somewhat like, I don't know how to run myself, you run it for me type artist. Okay. And on other cases, they're like, I'm basically trying to be a pimp. Who can I get that can hope for me? And they both exist in the same industry. And it skews to the side that rewar- that's rewarded by the product. So in one industry, that might be the talented, hardworking, you know, manager. And in a different genre, hip-hop versus country versus rock versus this or that, it might be something altogether different. So it's just a network. It's a very tricky web of human lack of awareness. Even my talented tall behind was contributing my arts and crafts to telling a ultimately satanic story without knowing it. Being fully a believer in God and in, uh, against Satan by every stretch of my imagination inadvertently, unassumingly that's what I was doing. And so you know, have- that doesn't surprise me at all, Chris, not to interrupt you. Yeah, you're but, fine. Um, but I think that right now, stepping outside of this industry and just the Christian world in general has become more accepting of, call it what you will, New Age influence, satanic influence, occult influence, not knowing. You know, right. it starts with something simple like yoga classes. It starts with... Uh, spear, uh, uh, what is it? A uh, mapping? What do they call that when they put your put your dreams up on a oh, board? Oh, uh, ma- um, vision boarding. Vision boarding. Like, yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we had a conversation with a, a person you know, Michaela, mm-hmm. uh, who who had uh, kind of clued us into how that was sort of uh, in her mind. It was accepted as almost a Christian thing yeah. until mm-hmm. she realized that there was an occult a connection to it. Mm-hmm. So you, would you agree that maybe that is also true in many cases here? People in yeah. this industry that might have a f- testimony of faith are just mm-hmm. unaware that what they're stepping into is Satan transformed as an angel of light. Correct. It, correct to the extreme capital letters of which are productions that or quote-unquote Christian industry production. So I know we're late to talk about this new movie, but there's asterisks all around. And Are you talking about The Sound of Freedom? Yes. Yeah, so talk about that. What are, you, what are your asterisks? What are your red flags there? So, okay. I'll have to preface this with the fact that I always approach these issues as a human person with a soul and an empathy and as an investigative Berean that's like, listen, deception, like even the elect going to be deceived, so I'm sniffing up everybody's tree type Good. Thing. And 
from the human as a filmmaker, I'm already familiar with Angel Studios and The Chosen and that whole production, and they do great production work. As somebody who does this type of work, I look at this and I go, Gaffer's on point. Camera guy lighting that, like uh, that crew. I'm sure the UPM and the production management is cool. Where'd they get that location? Like, that's pretty dope. Like, you know, I'm thinking about all the mechanics of how they do it, and I'm like, they do great work. Mm-hmm. I understand it to be a Mormon production. Uh, um, the whole operation, just with the uh, producers, the most of the crew, and just kind of where they shoot. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, there's just tangents when it comes to the like I call it the drop down menu religions Mm. if you go to a form and it says enter your race and you see your white black Asian whatever whatever enter your religion you see Christianity Islam da 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 my latest (laughs) revelations if you will Holy Spirit uh, inclinations and, and just truth revelations are such that any one of those drop down buckets has a thing behind it, whether it's the Vatican or the something, something, something. There's a apparatus that connects to Nimrod behind control across the board. It has nothing to do with entertainment, music, video, book, podcast, you know, anything that influences the minds of people, pastors, clergy, popes, imams, everybody, influencers, you know, this is who they seek to angle and recruit it's very much like a recruitment because by the time you really play in the game that really is going on they know you know and you know they know you know and it's kind of like all right we can talk like man okay let's here's the deal this is what we're offering do you are you in or out plenty of people are out probably 95 percent of people are your one hit wonders those are all the people who were like you want me to do what? Uh-uh, uh-uh. This they ain't got right. in, they got out, because they saw it, and they said, this ain't right. And they were super talented to even be there in the first place. Yeah. Hi, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a full-time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart. To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. Thanks. So, yes. And then there's other people who were, I won't say lucky, blessed. My mom was like, you're not lucky, you blessed. (laughs) So I was blessed to be able to work adjacent to that industry, specifically the music industry. And the film and video industry is a little bit less, you know, egregious with it because it's like brands and outside companies that are being directly commissioning most of these film projects and, and, and commercials, for example. <laughs> so, you know, don't, they don't they pay you on time and there's like protocols what you should and should not be doing in front of the client. The music industry is 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 the wild wild west. So. Because I always worked alongside the music industry, doing videos, working with bands and artists, but never in the contracts that they were in. I got to hear the vents and the stories and the like, you would never believe. And so-and-so sent me to this thing and this dude tried to rape me. You know, all this like Mm. stuff that's going on where, you know, in some cases artists have 
a manager who they were lucky to be able to sign because all the new and upcoming artists are trying to work with this particular vocal coach and image coach. She She's helped Aaliyah. She helped Janet Jackson. She helped all these famous people. And she's $1,500 a month just to, like, basically image consult you. But then she, like, sets up parties and appointments for you, and you go to the party, and the dude who you're supposed to meet there is, like, basically trying to rape you. So I'm going to say some terms, Chris, and mm-hmm. I know you've heard them. Um, and tell me if you've witnessed this kind of effect, if you will, okay. monarch programming. Yeah. I mean, what I not what I knew uh, at the time to be monarch programming. Like, yeah. yeah. I saw it, didn't know what I was seeing at the time. <laughs> Thought it was weird, checked father in my back pocket in the weird category, and then later learned about Monarch Program. It was like, oh my gosh, I know, I knew it. I knew something was off about that. I knew it. Yeah. It wasn't me. I wasn't crazy. Okay. In beta Monarch. kitten. Beta well, kitten program. That type of thing. Well, it's a true thing. They're they're doing it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What is it? So oh you can answer it, Scott, if you want. Well, no, I'll I'll let you give us your perspective. Okay. We've talked about it in previous podcasts and even before John was our co-host. So John, you may not even know that we did that. Uh-huh. But uh that was my um that was my research definition, not my experiential definition. Sure, yeah. So Chris's yeah. insight I would love to hear. <laughs> but hey, it's 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 the research is backed up by the fact that I def- definitely know people. Like I you, you know, you you find that one of the um, what they call fail-safe or um, emergency backup programming layers within the beta program was self-destruct programming, which was cutting yourself and da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And you hear stories of the people, and you see the scars right on their arms. And then you like hear their particular situation, and you're like, that's not in, like anything I've ever heard. That's so awful that that happened to you. Like, isn't that illegal? Like, how is like who are these people? And then later you learn about what this stuff really is, and I'll explain for the listeners and for those who don't know. So, there is a particular um, protocol, a cocktail of different types of procedures, drugs, conditioning methodologies, hypnosis techniques, and suggestion-based programming that can be applied to an individual to allow them, to allow for the handler or the, um, I, I say, uh, assailant, groomer, groomer yeah, to yeah, be honest, exactly. to be able to use and abuse this individual without them consciously really remembering what happened after it happened. A form of Jason Bourne level, Manchurian candidate level, mind control in a literal sense, in a clinically definable military-grade now declassified Operation Paperclip expl- explanation that came from the Germans that were applying it then, both yeah. macro and micro, that came from the people that they got it from, that came from the eras, correct. The Back ex- to the transient. <laughs> I love it. What a great analogy, Chris. Please continue. So they have put us in this place and there was a question you I want to clarify what this MK Ultra is because it is it was the initial diving point keep in mind like you mentioned monarch that's kind of the sub project that was underneath yeah. the bigger project but when I first saw this documentary series and it talked about all is full disclosure it was so long ago we worked together but lady gaga I worked with her on a couple projects over a decade ago at this point but 
I have a lot of colleagues and friends who've worked with her, produced for her, won Grammys on different albums, just kind of people who work in and around her and others, you know, at that caliber. And I saw the documentary bringing up people and names and things she was associated with. And I remember at the time going, I can't put my finger on why I didn't see that, but I can see how that's going on. It's not like I saw it directly because I was never that close. We were just working on a specific project, client to client type thing. But it was something that I could tell based on the culture of what it's like to work at that level of the industry, how you're not really in control of as much as you think you are. There's so, for every one Britney Spears or every one Christina Aguilera, there's 200 producers, engineers, sound designers, lawyers, makeup artists, drivers, you know, security guards, like project men, you know, there's all these people pulling these artists together. And don't get me wrong, some of these artists are extremely talented at what they do. It's just that when I started to see how they could clinically move someone from their right mind into not their right mind and then have them do something or perform something or enact something and then run them through a short process that creates an amnesic wall so that they cast those memories under an altar, which is often managed by a demon. One of the very first books that I ever read about MKUltra, clinically how it's done, had a whole chapter on demonology and how they layer in the de demons to really keep certain personalities' altars into check. And what I honestly at this point really think is happening is that it's a sophisticated way of doing demon possession, where yes. you're basically telling the demon, hey, don't wild out until we call you up. And then you have other demons like managing those and they file those under what are called altars. But these altars are created through trauma. They call it trauma-based mind control. And the reason it's called MK, ostensibly as the story goes, is that it, it, it relates to the German way to spell the word, word control. Yeah. Uh, the ultra form. Now, it's been reduced in shows like Stranger Things and in the pop culture to LSD and crazy experiments to like totally create a superhuman or whatever on in, as like an elevator pitch. But it was really a umbrella term for several sub projects, only a few of which we definitely know about that one of which spun off into this monarch based thing, which was really about prepping mothers to be both groomers and incubators, handmaid's tale style as well as breeders for the Genesis 6 extension yeah. that would be then moved into positions of power as they aged into their 20s now, which was, because MKUltra was happening in like the 50s and 60s, just after World War II. So yeah. it would be regarding the kids who were popular in the 90s and 2000s and now. It would be the subjects very similar to Stranger Things. So what Stranger Things is doing will be a great example for the Sound of Freedom conversation because what Stranger Things did is they said, MKUltra's real. It is. I mean, Bill Clinton admitted, oh, yeah, we did it. We shouldn't have been doing it. We totally apologized or whatever, but yeah, mm -hmm. we totally won't. We stopped it. Sure, they stopped it. Yeah, they did because they called it <laughs> 73 other things, so now MKUltra's not being used anymore. So we stopped using it. You see what I'm saying? So they, Bill's acknowledged it in the 90s, and... Um, several declassifications of documents have come out explaining all of what goes on. Stranger Things takes the offensive and goes, you know what we're going to do? As a um, 
publicly lauded storytelling mechanism. We're going to jump out ahead of this conversation and define for the public what MKUltra is. Eleven in Stranger Things is a result of a mother who underwent MKUltra. Not Eleven. Wink, wink. Just her mother. And her mother represents the generation that, in theory, MKUltra was applied to. But they truncate the whole project down to LSD experiments and and weird ways that that they can try to get a human to become something, like, controllable, which is, like, the elevator pitch of what it was, when the true thing is that they were doing breeding stuff, they were doing the wildest things you never heard of, they were doing things specifically for the trafficking industry, right, where, as we jump over to the Sound of Freedom conversation— we have a wonderful story that tells you about one aspect of a much bigger thing. And for me, when I began to see as a movie maker, all right, let's look into how this movie was made. Because I know movies. I know how they made. Who funded it? That's where it really was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, that seems strange. Why would he want to fund this? Okay, let me dig. Hmm. Look, his, his associates seem as if, they don't mind that this is clearly trending. And it's obvious that there's some sort of assault going on regarding this production from a movie theaters shutting down and AC units, all this stuff. And and my brother and sister-in-law went to um, go to see it, and that happened to them, right? So I know people oh. who it actually happened to. It's not just like a conspiracy online, right? It actually happened to real people that Where I Where theaters were actually shutting down... Yeah, and they were like, hey, we, we, yeah, the, the AC broke in that one theater, but you can go see this other movie. Hmm. But then there's other people that will tell me, hey, but the Sound of Freedom production has used outside donation to buy a lot of tickets forward for people who can't afford movie tickets, which is great. But it's also the easiest way for executive producers who are billionaires to just be like, Boink, here's another million, buy a bunch of tickets, make sure the movie sells. It's the perfect marketing. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying we're now in the era of where Jamie Foxx could be in a in a coma for six months. And nobody knows what happened to him. Is this dude cloned? And then the day he comes out, a movie called They Clone Tyrone is now trending. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? It's yeah. like meta marketing where the whole world markets the movie. And it's a big ha, ha, ha. He's not cloned. He's fine, Jamie. In fact, let's go see the movie because Jamie's cool. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's happening. in the center. I'm not actually making that claim. Right. I'm just saying... I know this industry and the excellent things that are managed in excellent ways excel. The other things that excel are the pieces of trash that are put out by the top snakes. Those things excel for a short season and they fail. But what I find very strange are a couple of anomalies just regarding movie making and as things go. Plus I have my whole Asterisk with Angel Studios from The Chosen and just from prior to this production altogether. So it's multifaceted. I don't, I I will fully acknowledge that the movie is clearly a great movie. Like, it's not a knock on the story. Yes, that stuff really happens. Yes, they're not lying about that stuff. It has nothing to do with misleading people on what does happen, right? So even the movie makers weren't claiming that this was all of human trafficking. Right. But the, the sex trafficking industry right. clearly is far bigger than Correct. what the movie is exposing. Correct. And and that that makes me want to 
ask you something about a point you made earlier, Chris, sure. when we were talking about MK Ultra and its origins. By the way, but go ahead. Well, that's all right. You 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 may come back to it anyway because my question is in, intersecting what you were saying with its origins with Nazi Germany mm -hmm. and how it came over here through Operation Paperclip. And we we discussed this in some earlier episodes we've done, but. Um, Clearly, there was a demonic influence there. When you talk about the altars in a in a beta kitten programming abuse essentially scenario, they use trauma to create these altar personalities, which you just described as a, basically a euphemism for a demonic possession. Mm -hmm. Knowing that um, agents of the government, mm -hmm. whether it was Germany or imported to the U.S., were involved in that. Mm -hmm knowing that they were experimenting with these things for the very purposes that they planned to use it for and implemented it in Hollywood and other industries to, for control. Don't you think it stands to reason that they knew exactly what they were accessing, uh, the demonic entities, oh, while yeah. they were doing it, just as uh, the black agencies or whatever you want to call these secret organizations mm -hmm. that are quasi-governmental, corporate, whatever, mm -hmm. dumbs, deep underground military base, collaborating with so-called aliens, they also know absolutely that what they're doing is interacting with demonic entities. Mm -hmm. Well, to the degree that they know that they're interacting with something that carries a rank higher than them yeah. and that seems otherworldly. Now... I do think some of them are down for the get down, meaning we know this is demons and I'm down to get dirty. And I think that others of them are um, groomed and or conditioned, victimized or willingly through, through heritage, right? Through family, familial, both agreements and curses to recognize it as a function of life and just my cog in the wheel and do mm. what I got to do. Or to actually think that they're here to help. Like we're here, like we're fighting the good fight. We like we lie for our truth. We we're ultimately doing a good thing, even though the world isn't really ready to understand why we're going about it this way. It's kind of a bucket of all of that. Yeah. So there's there's a there's an unawareness for some who think that maybe they're part of the greater good. Correct. It, for lack of a better term, but Correct. then there's clearly a. a land, a line of individuals or or a rank, if you will, of people that know the real scoop and what's mm -hmm. going on. Right, right, okay. correct. And that just to button and dovetail that um, so that that the military project that that intelligence community project called MK Project MK Ultra. What they really do talk about in there is a myriad of, like I said, drugs, different ways to administer different things, different hypnosis and techniques, different conditioning techniques through repetition over several days, years even, and then other trauma techniques where you're physically harming someone to the point of dissociation, having yeah. them snap. And your body, dissociation is a natural God-given mechanism of yeah. protecting your psyche from your vehicle, your body. So if you're a car wreck or like a big accident is a great example. You're going to some situation and an event happens that sends your brain into processing whether the pain that it's immediately about to incur or continuing to incur is worth remaining present in this moment with the body, experiencing yeah. the pain. And the second that threshold is exceeded, dissociation happens. Now, people all the time have gotten in car wrecks. Everybody, are you okay? What happened? Huh? Oh, 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 what, what, I don't. I, I think. Where, where am I? What time is it? You've been in a car accident, man. Like, are you okay? 
uh, what? I don't know what happened. I was driving, and I, I just remember you yelling at me, right? They dissociated in that moment. It naturally happens. You're driving, and your subconscious is driving because you're thinking about an argument you got in, and you end up passing the uh, exit you were going to get off. Mm. That's also a form of dissociation. It's not trauma based, but it's a more high, high, highly level, higher level, not deeper level grade of dissociation. So your bo- dissociation is a natural mechanism of a human body. They simply exploit that psychologically, right. demonically, to break a person like you would otherwise break a horse, like a victim of trafficking at large. And because I truly believe that this whole Genesis 6 conversation goes all the way back to the bedrock of why human trafficking exists and child abduction is such a small relative percentage of both the why and the function of the bigger apparatus that individuals like the chief funder of this movie funding this particular movie raise more antennas to me than like give me all the frillies because I'm kind of like, well, you're a billionaire. So everybody knows in the movie industry, if you make a movie more than 2 million, but less than 20 million, you're in no man's land for movie budgets. Meaning you can make a movie for a million dollars and get your return easy. You can make a movie for two and get your return because the budgets and scopes for those types of movies often horror or comedy where that don't require some major A-list actor to sell well internationally mm-hmm. can make their money back on a couple of pretty almost like cookie cutter premises, which is kind of why the industry is such a womp, womp, womp at the moment. <laughs> but but it, distribution companies, which are the people who give you the money, they will, oh, you got a, you got a horror film with a guy with this actor of this caliber on the cover holding a gun doing this. Okay, we can sell that in Japan, Indonesia, da, 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 da. okay, we'll give you this much money. So it's very much down to transactions like that. And when I look at how this, the funding, just of this whole, how it all came to be, I'm going, if, if you're a billionaire investing in an important story like human trafficking, Whatever, whether it was two million, like it was initially stated, was the budget for this movie twelve million, like it seemed to later come out to be. All of these are in the everybody knows the no man's land of you don't make movies for this, but this is the one movie that like blew up. It's like okay, not that it's that's impossible. It's just yeah. anomalous, right? In and of itself, it's not a thing. It's not a anything. It's just a hmm, anomalous piece of popcorn in an otherwise undefined bucket. So to to cut to the Heart of what I think you're saying is that you're feeling that, and I haven't seen the movie yet, by the way. Um, mm. And uh, I usually don't go see anything until it comes out on. <laughs> yeah, know, streaming. me too. You know, just I, <laughs> just how my life is. But um, uh, it sounds like there's an agenda behind this, which on the surface may look like we're really trying to bring attention to child sex trafficking, but more like this is a distraction. Yes, let's focus on this aspect over here and pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Right. Who's got 73 other bigger operations servicing more egregious things. Mm. On It's like they, the, the DEA does it with cocaine busts. You know what sure. I'm saying? Banks do it with audits. It's, it's like everybody does it. Everybody does it. And it's kind of a smart way to both market and to cover bases because like with the case of MK Ultra, now everybody talks about it, but people have a very truncated understanding of what it could possibly be and how certain people that they trust could very much be victims of this very thing 
but because they don't know the scope of what that project was, because they learned about it from Stranger Things or from pop culture sensations, then they don't ever do research research on it. And they don't ever see that there's a bigger thing. Now, again, as far as the premise to anybody who would be willing to support something like OUR or something like a Tim Ballard, some any individual trying to help, I have nothing but love and kudos and support for that premise and that sentiment. It's very thin. It's like a rightly divided I'm trying to do mm. by saying I'm not knocking the sentiment or the concept that individuals can help. I'm just saying when I hear this lady over here say that OUR and the whole project was started as a reality show that had a couple uh, options in the network like we know the film had options at Disney then that makes me step back. Like, okay, 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 okay. So I get what y'all are saying, and I see why that's valid. But this lady over here says she physically worked with you, and you weren't what she thought. It, things things were that with that organization were not what she thought. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you would like to hear the rest of our fascinating interview with Chris Scratchfield, consider becoming a premium podcast subscriber by going to BibleMysteriesPodcast.com where you can gain access to all of our bonus content, including the entire full-length episode of our guest interviews like Chris. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to our premium ad-free content at BibleMysteriesPodcast.com. 